I say the game Fortnite, do you know what Fortnite is? Raise your hand if you know the game Fortnite. If you have a child that is in junior high, I would, that's a boy at least, I just imagine you know it. Maybe you have, maybe high schoolers I'm sure do it too, but well, I guess my kid's in high school. Good grief. <laughs> well, he needs to grow up. But uh, all that to say, I heard a story this week, Carlos Santana, he's now back with the Indians, and I read a story this week earlier that when he was, it just came out, that when he was with the Phillies last season, he uh, took a baseball bat. After a loss, he saw two of his teammates, they were in there playing a game of Fortnite, and he took a baseball bat and smashed the TVs because they were not taking their game, or, you know, the, the game seriously. They were taking Fortnite seriously. But uh, anyways, he's my new favorite player, so... <laughs> That doesn't really have anything to do with today's lesson, but, uh, well, actually, it might, actually. We might tie that in, the whole, because you know what? Sometimes you do need to smash some things in your life, and uh, that might happen today. We might need to do that. But let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that I don't have to get up and, and preach my thoughts or my ideas. I get, to, I get to talk about what you said, because that's all that matters, and uh, we're so thankful that we have what you preserve for us today. Lord, I just uh, ask you to just use this time in our lives that you take your word and that I pray that it would have a free course in our lives and be glorified and that uh, you would change us today. Uh, I pray that everybody will feel reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. And uh, we'll be sure to give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, by way of review, just real quickly, just a couple bullet points. Uh, we've talked about how poor parenting led Joseph, uh, led to Joseph's brothers uh, hating him and envying him, and how Jacob didn't deal with that, and that ultimately led to the next bullet point when he was conspired against by his own brothers, and that's where we left off last week. He was sold into slavery in Egypt, and initially they had planned to murder him. So I guess it's better that they did sell him, right? He didn't. He didn't lose his life, but God orchestrated that whole event. And with that, that was the end of chapter 37. And now we're going to pick up in chapter 39. And you might think, well, what happened to chapter 38? Well, good question. And uh, I'm telling you, if you read chapter 38, it's quite the parentheses in the life of Joseph. But I think what God's trying to teach us, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but just briefly, you know what I believe it is? It's the judgment of God on, on in this case, specifically Judah. Um, I imagine the, the judgment of God came upon all the other brothers at some point in their lives. But I'm telling you what, you read the life of Judah and what happened in his life, I'm telling you what, God is not mocked. And whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. And jo Judah was reaping, reaping the benefits or the, the sowing corruption is my point. Um, he lost two sons, they died, and he ends up having an uh, uh, an affair, or not an affair, a, 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 a run-in with his daughter-in-law where he hired her, he thought she was a harlot, and has an intimate relationship with her and has a kid with his former daughter-in-law. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. And uh, yet, just so you know, God uses it all because I don't know if you know this, but our Savior came through the line of Judah. <laughs> and uh, just quite amazing. But uh, God uses sinful people like me and you to do his work, just like he used Judah. But uh, you're going to see quite the contrast in chapter 38 and chapter 39 because Judah, he succumbs to all kinds of sexual sin. And now you're going to have jo uh, Joseph in chapter 39 do the exact opposite. He's going to stand for God and he's going to stand for truth and he's going to honor his God. But uh, 
Let's start, and I want to read chapter 39. We're just going to read verses 1 through 10. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had uh, brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. That means he was a good-looking man. And verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, over and over again, she's propositioning him, guys, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Uh, I'm telling you, you know, I, I initially I told you I, I, I went about this study of Joseph, honestly, for personal reasons, and it was for the whole point of wanting to teach this to my kids. And if, if I'm being honest, it was this chapter that I wanted to teach my kids. I mean, the life of Joseph is an awesome, I mean, the whole story, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna learn all kinds of things, but I'm telling you what, chapter 39 has changed my life from the day I ever got taught it and, and read it and, and understood what Joseph did. And uh, I wanted my boys to be able to know this, this truth uh, that Joseph, he won. <laughs> he won the battle. He, over, he was an overcomer. He didn't succumb to the lust of the flesh. And, uh, and he had an opportunity to do so. So uh, anyways, th this is just... This is an important chapter that we're going to cover in the next couple of weeks, but especially this morning. Um, you know, how many of you had dogs? A dog at home. You know, you might not want to think of your dog as a beast, but he's a beast. You know, he, he lacks understanding. He doesn't uh, appreciate the a beauty of the sunrise. They don't tap their paws to music. Well, maybe they can be trained to do that. I have no idea. But I wouldn't think they appreciate music. They have no sense of justice. Uh, we're different than the beasts, you know, aren't, aren't we? But you know what? What do dogs like to do? They like to eat, they like to drink, and they like to chase cats. That's really what they do. And you know what? That's a great description of what a man is like before they come to Christ. They like to eat, they like to drink, and they like to chase women. That's really what a description of a man, and that's why most women think men are beasts. And it's, and it's kind of true. Um, but I'm telling you what, it, it's, it's sad. I mean, Cameron's in college, and he's telling me how he has friends that... All they talk about in pharmacy school, they can't wait to get drunk that night. There's, I mean, I'm just like, wow. I mean, that's all they care about is just getting drunk. And, you know, he has to choose his friends wisely, and he's, he's you know, careful with what he does, and, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, I remember being in those situations. I was at Ohio State, same, same deal. Everybody, you know, they go out. You know, you had the whole high street was the thing at, at Ohio State, and they had a whole bunch of bars. But, you know, uh, I'm just saying it's just amazing how, Men are really into eating, drinking, and chasing women. And uh, 
But Joseph was not so. And, you know, we need to train our, our boys to be the same way and uh, to be like Joseph. So historical application. This is actual history. What we just read actually happened. I moved the practical application up today because, honestly, I don't think we're going to get to the doctrinal application of the first ten verses today. We're going to get those next week. But I did put them on your study sheet. <clears throat> but we're going to move right into the practical. And these first few guys are going to come quick and fast and furious. So be ready. Because uh, we're going we're gonna to land one place that we've got to stay a little time today. So, number one, <clears throat> God directed this valley in Joseph's life for purpose. God directed this valley. This valley of him, you know, he's sold into Egypt. You know, he's now a slave in Potiphar's house. But you know what? God's going to use this greatly in his life. And you find in Psalm 119.67, I put a lot of these verses on the first few. They're going to be up on the, on the screen just to save us time. But in verse 67, it says in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Um, same thing in verse 71, same chapter. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I'm telling you what, until you're afflicted, sometimes you don't really get in that book and find out the answers. You know, I remember just as a young Christian, you know, the first time I ever really dug in was when I was asked a question about something by somebody and I couldn't answer it. But I'm telling you, when I really learned the scriptures, uh, honestly, it happened in 2008 and I can't get into the whole story, but it's when I first came to this church. And it wasn't because of uh, just Pastor Tom's incredible preaching. It, that was awesome. But I'm telling you what, I learned it because of the affliction I was going through. And God made me dig deep. And I'm very thankful for this place. And all of you, you guys have been very good to me and my family. And I'm, I'm really indebted to you, uh, all of you. But I'm telling you what, God afflicted me. And I, I, he, he made me dive deep into his word. And uh, anyways, affliction is necessary sometimes to be able to walk with God. Number two. If you have been born again, then the Lord is with you just like he was with Joseph. If you see that in verse 2, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him. Well, Matthew 28, 20, you know, it says, And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the temple of God, God's dwelling place. Which, you know, so God's with us. And, and he goes everywhere we go which, quite frankly, ought to change sometimes some of the places that we go, right? Because right. every place we go, we take God with us. Everything we see, God sees. Everything we think, God thinks, or sees what we think. Um, so anyways, it ought to change where we go. Uh, number three, it is God who makes a man prosperous, but there are certain conditions. Look at the, the end of verse two. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Look in Joshua 1. Well, you don't need to look in. Look on the TV, I guess. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. There are certain conditions with which prosperity happens. And I'm not talking physical necessarily prosperity, but that is also true in some sense. But uh, you know what? We must meditate on his word and we must observe to do his word. There are blessings with actual obedience. We have to actually do what he says. And Joseph obviously did what he said. And we actually saw that in the story and you're going to see it more as you read on in chapter 39. But uh, both are required. <clears throat> Excuse me, number four. 
Uh, Others will notice when the Lord is with you. Check out verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. It's interesting, look in in 1 Corinthians 8.3, it says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. It's obvious when the man loves God, and others will notice. And it's uh, not something you have to fake, it's just something you know you notice. Uh, I, do a, I go to the YMCA every morning practically to swim, and uh, every, now and, uh, every now and then I get in the hot tub, and it's a good place I've learned to witness to people. <laughs> uh, had a little hot tub ministry is what I called it. Uh, <laughs> they have nowhere to go, and they just sit there. So, uh, but anyways, just yesterday I, I got in the hot tub after I was done swimming, and uh, there was a guy there. And you know what? Sometimes you can just tell that a man knows the Lord by their countenance and by, you know, by the first few conversations. I mean, I, I can't say for sure that this man was a Christian. I didn't get a chance to witness to him. It just didn't, uh, didn't turn into that. Uh, but it might next week because he's going to be there next week. But uh, I did find that out. But you could just tell by his uh, countenance. And, uh, and some of the things we were talking about, he, he works for a Christian travel agency and stuff like that. I mean, I had some hints. But before I knew that, I'm just telling you, a lot of people are hard on the outside in their countenance. And kind of like Cain, I don't know if you remember uh, Cain, it says in his countenance was down. Why out there countenance fallen? Which is, leads me to another interesting story. My son this year, uh, Elliot, he was in, what class was it, Mel, when he used that word countenance? Health, health class. I don't even know what they were talking about. but he, Depression, that's right. How do you know when someone's depressed? And Cam, or Elliot raises his hand and says, uh, their countenance is down? And the lady, the teacher said, it's a lady, right? She said, what's that? We don't, she didn't know the word. What the, she was like, that's not a word. <laughs> Seriously, that got said to my son. So the Bible is so true, because what's it say? If you read it and believe it, you're going to be smarter than all your teachers. And you really are, because she didn't know. I'm like, we're like, unbelievable. My, my son who reads his King James Bible every morning and loves God, and that's actually true. I mean, you can tell by their countenance sometimes. Your countenance is down. You can tell when someone's depressed, but I got off subject there. But anyways, we, others will notice when the Lord is with you. Number five, uh, look in verse uh, four. And Joseph found grace in his sight, that is Potiphar's sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And I put number five, we too must learn to submit and serve our earthly masters as unto the Lord, regardless of their spiritual state whether they're lost or saved. Because in Proverbs 16, 7, it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. I've had my share of pretty poor bosses (laughs) over the years. But you know what? The facts are, when I just do what God says, I can pretty much keep them off my back if I do what God says. Uh, Every now and then, that's not always the case. But uh, generally speaking, that that is absolutely a true statement. Um, Ephesians 6, just verses 5 and 6 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Uh, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Because ultimately, guys, who do we end up serving? We actually work for God. We serve Christ, and that's why we do what we do. Um, We're not trying to please man or our boss. We're trying to please the Lord. Um, Next, number six, 
Others will benefit from your obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. And that's exactly what it says in verse 5. And it came to pass from the time that he made him, Joseph, overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. It was because of Joseph that God blessed Potiphar's house. And you know what? God's going to bless others in your life because of you if you're walking in righteousness and holiness and humbleness. Now, if we don't walk in, in the way that we should, that's not going to be the case. But I'm telling you what, you know, I think ODOT gets a great benefit if I walk in righteousness and holiness because I work for them. And it's just true, and it, it works for all of you. No matter where you're at, if you do your job as unto the Lord, there's a huge benefit to, to that. There's blessings with obedience, and the world does take notice. But, uh, unfortunately, oh, yeah, verse, 2 Samuel. Uh, this is just uh, where, where the ark, it says, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom, and all of his household, and all his household, and it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom into the city of David with gladness. This is when the ark was not in Jerusalem. But uh, just the proof is where God's presence is, blessing happens. And you are now the presence of God in other people's lives. So we can bring blessing to others. And then, if you would. Look in verse 6. It says, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught that he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Joseph, you know, he gets sold into slavery, but he works hard, and God blesses him and rises and picks, and, you know, puts him in a place of uh, exalted position there in Potiphar's house. But you know what comes next? Time of temptation. And that's what you see in, in number 7. Times of temptation and trial are often right around the corner after a prosperous time in life. You look at Job. Job had it all. He had a great family. He had wealth, riches. And, you know, through no fault of his own, just Satan wanted to try to prove God that he could get him to cursing. And so trial and tribulation came upon Job. And uh, I'm telling you what, Satan has a plan, and his, his goal is to destroy you and your family. That's, we have big targets on our back, and... Look in, in 1 Peter 5.8. I keep saying look there. Just look there when I say that right now. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. His goal is to devour you and your children and your family and your children's children. He wants to devour you. And uh, he's got his ways of doing it. And uh, he's going to come after Joseph right now. And that's what we're going to see in, uh, in verse 7. And Look in verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. First of all, that's an awful bold woman. Watch out for them. But uh, number eight, be careful getting close to those of the opposite gender with whom you work. Stay distant and professional, avoiding flirting and excessive compliments. I'm just telling you, Keep it real professional and keep it distant, guys. Um, you don't, you, you know, you're putting a, p a position in an environment where you're spending a lot of time with them, sometimes more than you are with your wife. And you better be very careful and keep it very distant and professional. And you better watch what you say. And you better watch your motives for why you say what you say. Uh, look in, uh, Matt, well, don't look there. That's just me tricking you. Look up there. Matthew 12. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? 
And check this out. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ask yourself, why are you wanting to compliment them? Make sure it's generally just appreciating the work they're doing and not trying to get some sort of, you know, weird favor with them. Because, um, verse 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. We do have the judgment seat of Christ coming at us, and I'm telling you, we don't want to have to give an account of that. And our motives and our heart better be right. Proverbs 2, verse 16, watch out for flattery, guys. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Also, it says in 721, with her much fair speech she caused him to yield, and with the flattering of her lips she forced him. There's no doubt this lady day by day came to Joseph telling him how beautiful he was, how good looking he was, or whatever it was that she did, but she tried to get him to lie down with her, to have a, a sexual relationship with him. And, or with her. And he resisted. But I'm telling you, you've got to watch out for flattery. Flattery is not sincere. It is selfish. Right. You're, you're flattering somebody for your sake. You want something from them. So watch your motives. That's what flattery is. If you want to appreciate somebody, that's because you're caring about them and seeing it from their perspective. Know the difference. Know the difference. Um, which leads us to verses 8 and 9. And that is going to be the last of the verses that I have up on the screen. So now you're going to have to work. But we're going to spend some time in our Bibles and I want you to be able to turn there and see it in your own Bible. Verses 8 and 9. Let's read them again. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Number nine on your sheet. It is great wickedness to commit sexual sin, which is fornication or sex outside of marriage. And it is against God. It's against God. Um, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 13. You know, Joseph had more than one reason for not doing this. He obviously didn't want to do it because it was against God. He makes that very clear in the passage we just read. But he also didn't want to disappoint who? His master. You know what? The same thing with us guys. We have a lot of people that we should not want to disappoint. I have a whole room full of people I don't want to disappoint here. But more importantly, I don't want to disappoint my wife or my son or my son that's sitting over there. There's a lot at stake on me doing what Joseph said. I'm telling you, we've got, to, we've got to make sure we're dealing with this in our lives. And uh, look in Hebrews 13 and verse 4. It says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. In other words, hey, sex within a marriage relationship, guys, is good. It was actually, it's a gift from God within those boundaries. Outside of those boundaries, he says, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Those are strong words. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to talk a little bit more, more about this next week as well. But uh, just to get us started, I wanted to touch base on a couple passages. The Corinthian church, messed up church, so messed up that it actually starts out in chapter 5, verse 1, says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Just stop right there. Seriously? It's reported commonly that there was fornication among a church in the New Testament. This is what? 
30 years after Christ died. It's reported commonly that that was happening. And I'd probably venture to say that it's perhaps maybe even in this church there's some fornication happening. And it might not be with another woman uh, physically, but it might be happening in your mind. And that's what we're going to go to today a little bit. And I'm just telling you what, these things ought not so to be. These have to be killed. And we're going to talk about that a little more in detail. But look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're right here. Look in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? What are the next three words? Be not deceived. I have a feeling the reason he says that is there's a lot of people in church, this is written to a church, that are deceived about this. So let's not be deceived. What's it say? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God lives in us. It's the, the Holy Spirit lives in us. You're not going to inherit that. You can't, you, know, you can't get bitter and sweet water from the same fountain, guys, and you're not going to be able to enjoy your fornication and also have the Holy Spirit and be the temple of God. Okay, it's not, it's not possible. In fact, God says you're gonna, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. So, don't be deceived about this. It's not like you can have this little lust problem that you can hide and think you're going to be okay. It's not going to happen. Um, so we're going to look at two fallacies, guys. Fallacy number one, it's your, your bullet point there. When I hear this from men, sometimes Christian men I've heard it from, but... I say quick Christian, I'll put the quotes around it. You can look, but you can't touch. That's the fallacy number one we're going to look at. You can look, but you can't touch. Well, let's see what, what Jesus has to say about that. Matthew chapter 5. In <clears throat> verse 28. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes to the point of, well, verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said, of them, uh, said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment, written in stone. But verse 28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And see, God sees our thought life, guys. And that's why it's the same thing. God's going to judge us as an adulterer whether we've actually done the act or not, if it's what we've thought about in our heads. So, it's adultery of the heart. Look in Proverbs, if you would, chapter 6. Verse 25 says, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. I'm telling you, we are the precious life. We're Joseph. And the, adulterer is, the adulteress will hunt for us, guys. I'm telling you, Satan is after to devour you on this issue. On this issue. It got King David. Don't think you're above it. You aren't above it. And you've got to deal with this issue. And we're going we're gonna to help you with that, hopefully this morning. But, um, you know, it, it truly is, it's every man's battle. It is, it is a battle that every man has to, has to overcome. And uh, ladies, 
you're not, you're not exempt from this either. Obviously, our text very much clearly, very clearly states it's the lady that has the issue here. She's the one that sets her eyes on Joseph. So don't think you're above it either. I think I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure there's ladies that have been addicted to pornography. I mean, that, that shouldn't be happening here, but if it is, you can overcome that. And, uh, but anyways, you know how many times lust appears in your Bible? The word lust, just lust. It's 18. Six plus six plus six. I find that interesting. I just found that out this week. I typed it in in my search, and I'm like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? I'm telling you, it's the number of the beast, and uh, it's a beast that we all have to kill. But uh, you know what lust is like? Lust is a whole lot like a child holding a stick of dynamite. They're all mesmerized by the flickering lights, and they're you know, getting a lot of pleasure from playing around with it, but they don't realize if they don't cast it off, they're going to they're gonna die. <laughs> it's going to kill them. It's not, you know, but we tend to think lust is more like a little sparkler. Lighten it up, having fun, and that's what we do. We tend to think it's not going to kill us. We can do a little lusting. You can't do a little lusting. It doesn't, it doesn't stay a little. It never stays a little. It grows into the stick of dynamite, and it will kill you. It will kill your kids. It will kill your marriage. And it's what it did to King David. We're going to talk more about King David next week, but I'm telling you, it's a big, big deal. And I'll be honest with you, I've been nervous about teaching this message for ever since I was going to teach the life of Joseph when they asked me. I'm, I've, I've not been more nervous than this. And uh, it's because I, this is a big deal. <laughs> and uh, anyways, uh, pornography, guys, is rampant and available in our culture. It's rampant and available. It's like a $10 billion industry in the United States alone. And that doesn't include the PG-13 and the R-rated movies that are skin-filled. Some of them. I'm not saying they all are, but I'm telling you, that doesn't even include that $10 billion. That doesn't include that. I'm telling you, it's very rampant. And how are we going to walk in the Spirit so as to not fulfill the lust of the flesh? How can we do this as men? And I'm hoping to help you out here. Uh, your, your bullet point. We must learn to bounce the eyes. We must learn to bounce the eyes. Is that, is that your next blank, guys? Did I do that right? Okay. Um, turn to Proverbs 26. You should be in Proverbs. Just flip over to chapter 26. The fact is, you don't want to feed the fire of lust. And that's exactly what the principle here is in verse 26, or verse 20. It says, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So stop fueling it, and then the fire will go out. Okay? So stop throwing logs on the fire, so to speak. You must starve it. You must kill it. Paul said, I die daily. In fact, he said in Romans 7, 7, you don't need to go there, so it says, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. You know, maybe hide those verses in your heart. Understand what Paul went through. Romans 7 is, a, is him talking about his struggle and the struggle of uh, overcoming his flesh. We have the same struggle. Um, closely connected to that first bullet point is don't do double takes. Don't do double takes, guys. And remember Lot's wife. Turn over to Genesis 19. Lot and his family were living in Sodom. We get our word sodomy from that. All kinds of lasciviousness, sexual sin going on in Sodom. But for some reason, they didn't want to leave. You know what? They thought it was a little sparkler. They didn't realize it was a stick of dynamite. And check out verse 14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law who married, which married his daughters and said, Up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. You're a hypocrite. 
Verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, check that out, he lingered. God's going to destroy the city, and they're lingering. They're actually going around their house collecting, oh, I want to take this with me. They're lingering. I'm thinking it's just time to get out, right? But look what has to happen. While they lingered, the men, that'd be the angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. They had to be drug out of the city. And maybe some of you are caught in this whole thing of lust, and maybe you need to be drug out of it by somebody. Well, thankfully, we have a discipleship ministry. We have pastors. We have people that will help you, and we'll drag you out. But you need to get out because it's going to destroy you and your family if you don't. Um, Verse 26, I want you to see this, though. Well, no, verse 17, sorry, first that. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Don't look behind you. Don't look. And what's, what's Lot's wife do? Look in verse 26. But his, wa- his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Once again, ladies, if you think you're exempt from this, you're not. It's just, yes, generally it's a, it's a man's problem. But don't be so foolish to think that you're fine. You better, you better avoid lust as well. And Because uh, Lot's wife looked back. But guys, don't do double takes. Avoid that. You bounce your eyes. You see something that shouldn't be looking at, you, you go the other way. Same thing. Don't stare. Don't take another look. You've got to kill it. Number Your third bullet point there. Cast down lustful thoughts as soon as they enter the mind. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10. I'd recommend everybody memorize this passage to deal with this sin because it's just uh, it's basic on how you're going to have to do it. Because for the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that's what lust is. It's a stronghold. Casting down imaginations, it starts in the mind, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God will honor it when you start bouncing your eyes, when you stop doing double takes, when you start casting down those imaginations and start thinking on things of God and holiness and truth whenever those thoughts enter your mind. He'll honor that and He'll revenge that in your life. That's what verse 6 says. Um, So hidden secret sins like the secret sin of lust that we think we can do in our mind, I'm telling you, it can kill you. When I was uh, a high schooler, my best friend and I used to have a couple four-wheelers and we'd, I'd, I guess I had the four-wheelers, but I took him to his house. He had a farm, and we used to drag a big you know, inner tube around on it when it snowed. I'd, we'd tie the inner tube to the, to the four-wheeler, and this one day I was on the inner tube, and we're having a big old time. I had this huge snowsuit on, and it was a lot of fun, and we were coming in. We were done. We had done it in the fields for a while, and we were coming back. And what we didn't know was, well, as we come back, there's a fence post, an old metal fence post that was sticking out of the snow at an angle covered up by the snow but I was you know sunken in the snow a little bit and I, I was riding my, my back was to him and I'm telling you that fence post hit me right there right there on the on the what is that part of your body the shoulder blade there you go anyway I'm not a medical doctor uh, but anyways uh, I'm telling you what it 
it would have killed me had it hit me in the neck or the head, I think, because I'm telling you what, I, I couldn't, my, my friend, obviously the, the four-wheeler went on, and the inner tube, actually the only thing that stopped was me. The inner tube, I think, might have got caught, but the rope broke, and I'm stuck, I'm just stopped there, and he's asking me, are you okay, are you okay? And I, I can't speak, because the wind is completely knocked out of me. I'm, yeah, I mean, that, it was the scariest thing I've ever had happen to me that I can think, it was probably the most near-death experience I've ever had. And uh, I'm telling you what, the day after, my bruise was like this big, and it, I, had a, I had a sweatshirt on, uh, a couple, I mean, a couple shirts, a sweatshirt, and then I had that big snowsuit on, and it ripped all of it, and I, had, I, I was bleeding. My point is, that's how hard I got hit. Um, I'm lucky to honestly be alive today, but my point is, things that are hidden can kill you. And you've got to be careful uh, with the hidden things. So, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, you don't need to go there, but it says, let he who thinks he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Don't think you're standing in this area, because tomorrow you won't be. Okay? You've got to fight this your whole life. Um, next bullet point. Don't watch anything with lusty stuff in it. I don't even know if lusty is a word, but that's your blank. Don't watch anything with lusty stuff in it. Okay, turn to Romans 1 if you would. You know, I don't have the time to read the whole passage, but I, I wanted to read honestly from verse 21 on because you see the progression. It starts off with just sexual sin. And then it goes into homosexuality and then bestiality, essentially. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. And this is what I want to warn you. If you think it's going to stop with just lusting other women, it won't. I'm telling you, I think we have a sin of homosexuality for the express purpose of the fact that it started to get out of bounds. And God gave them over to reprobate minds. And I'm telling you what, all sexual sin will eventually lead into more devious sexual sin. And... You know, you think you'd never be a homosexual. Well, keep going at it. And uh, I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't test God on that matter. I'm telling you, Romans 1 is a, is a very key chapter on that very issue. But we're only going to read verses, uh, we're going to start with uh, verse 29. Being filled with all un unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, and this is the verse I wanted you to really see, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What are we doing watching stuff that enjoying other people doing this stuff shame on us we shouldn't be watching tv shows movies reading books that have this kind of stuff in it and having pleasure in it and i'm guilty too guys i'm just say, saying we ought to be running stuff through what does the bible say are we having pleasure in watching others do wicked stuff i mean that's what verse 32 says we should not be that i mean we shouldn't be having pleasure in that um you know, wanting to stay pure while you're watching dirty things like that uh, on your phone or inappropriate movies is a whole lot like throwing sticks onto a fire while praying that God will extinguish the flames. You know, we can't do that. It's not going to work. It's, you're starting the fire again. We've got to be careful with what we put before our eyes. The little song, be careful little eyes what you see. You know, be careful little ears what you hear. You know, and be careful, you know, where you go. I'm telling you, we've got to be careful. 
Um, and then, your la well, I think it's your last bullet point here on this section. Get busy doing the work of the Lord. Run over to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16 and verse 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. If you want to have your thoughts established correctly and on things that they should be thinking on, you better be busy doing the work of the Lord. You better be thinking about how am I going to witness to that stranger? How am I going to disciple my, disi my disciple? How am I going to teach my children? How am I going to love my wife? How am I going to be a good employee? You better be thinking on those things and all the time. Because an idle mind is the devil's playground, guys. It truly is. You want, that's what happened with King David. We're going to go there a little bit next week. But an idle mind is the devil's playground. That's where it happened. Imagination starts, and then it starts coming out into lustful thoughts, and it goes from there. And then it becomes that stick of dynamite that will blow up. And everybody around you pays the price, including you. You know, I, I, how many of you have seen the movie Fireproof? If you haven't, I'm telling you what, I'd watch it yearly if I were you. I'm telling you, great movie. Uh, it deals with his whole issue of, of lust and how it can destroy a marriage. And I'm telling you what, what a beautiful picture of repentance in that movie. Makes me cry every time. I'm, I'm like, awesome. That's what it's supposed to be like. That's what we should be like. We should have a repentant heart towards God on this issue and be clean and be holy. Um, I've got one more tip, or not tip, one more thing that I'd recommend us all do. We're going to hit that at the end that I think can really, really help overcome this issue of lust. But next we're going to talk about the opposite side of it. If, if Matthew 5.28 says, uh, if a man looks at a woman to lust for her, it's adultery of the heart, the number, your number 10 is also true. It is also great wickedness to dress in a manner which lures the opposite sex to look at your body. And I'd honestly, I'd, I'd rather my wife stand up here and teach this, but she's not going to do that. So uh, I'm going to do it. But just know one thing. My wife agrees with me on all of this. So if that helps you, ladies, just pretend it's Melanie up here, you know, being a little mean. But uh, you know what? The fact is, and I want to caution you, ladies, those, especially the ones that aren't married yet. You know what? You're what you win them with is going to be what you've got to keep them with. So I'd highly recommend you win them with your heart with your character, with your smile, because those get better with age when you know Christ. But I'm telling you what, if you win them with something else, you're going to have to keep them with that. And you know what? You won't. And, uh, and another thing, you get what you fish for. If you're going to fish for a guy that's all about his eyes, just know when he marries you, he's not done looking. And uh, so win them with your heart, guys, uh, ladies. And... Uh, you know what, when I met my wife, I was home on a break or on a weekend actually from college. I was at my dad and my stepmom's and uh, we ordered a pizza from Pizza Hut and I go to get it. I'm, I'm alone to go get it and my wife worked at Pizza Hut at the time. I, never, I, didn't, I knew of her. I don't think I'd ever spoken really a word to you. But ordered the pizza, went and picked it up through the drive-thru and uh, you know what, she won me with her smile. She won me with her character. She won me with her heart. And uh, I remember... After I took the pizza home, I'm like, man, I'm going to call my my, uh, my best friend's girlfriend worked at Pizza Hut. 
So I called my best friend that almost killed me on the four-wheeler. Uh, I called him and I said, hey, can you see if she'll ask her if she'll go out with me? Because I, I, no, I had no confidence, by the way. I still don't, to be honest with you. Uh, which is a good thing in some ways, I think. Uh, but uh, So I asked and she, of course, said she would. So before I called her, I got the confirmation that she would say yes. So that's how I worked. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't really smooth. But uh, anyways... She won me with her heart and her smile and her character. Not that she couldn't have won me with her good looks, because she could have. Which uh, leads me to another embarrassing foot-and-mouth story. So I will proceed to share that. Uh, but we had uh, our good friends, Jason and Beth Baronic were on our back patio, and we were having a little fellowship. And we were talking about, I don't know, some Hollywood couples or something. And my wife says, well, he's like a 10 with, or she's like a 10 with a 3. You know, and, I can't remember who we were talking about, but it'd be like maybe Donald Trump and Melania, okay? You're like, okay, she's a 10, he's a 3. That doesn't make sense. How did that ever happen? But anyway, we were having that. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be smart here. I'm going to win some points. Well, I'm, you know, I said, well, I kind of married up. I'm like a, a 5 with a 9. And uh, to which, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm in trouble already. I know. <laughs> to which Jason, the ever witty that he is, says, am I the only one here married to a 10? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, I messed up. So guys, if you're ever in that situation, your wife is a 10, okay? So anyway, so yeah, just a little tip. Fallacy number two. Fallacy number two. We already looked at fallacy number one. That is you can look, but you can't touch. That's a fallacy. Fallacy number two is if you've got it, flaunt it. If you've got it, flaunt it. I've heard Christian ladies think that and say that. That is not true, ladies. That is not true. That's evil to think that. We shouldn't flaunt anything we have, especially our bodies. But good grief, who, who thinks that's okay to flaunt something? Um, but look in 1 Timothy. I've heard a Christian lady say, well, while I've got it, I'm going to flaunt it. I mean, seriously, that's, that's insanity to me. But anyway... Hopefully I can prove this biblically to you. And by the way, don't fear. We're not going to set some legalistic standard today. That isn't happening. That's not what I'm going to cover. You are free to wear whatever you want before God as long as it follows God's standard. And we're going to read God's standard because God's the one who sets the standard. Uh, look in verse uh, 9, chapter 2. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. With good works. So, uh, your first bullet point there. Be modest or discreet, not showy, with how you present your body to the opposite sex. Be modest or discreet, not showing or not showy with how you present your body to the opposite sex. Um, look in, if you would, Proverbs 11. Just a couple great verses here in Proverbs. Discretion is having good judgment. Discreet. You're having good judgment with what you wear. Look at verse 22, Proverbs 11. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. You know what? A lady that might be beautiful, if she doesn't have discretion with how she dresses, 
to God, you're like a pig with an earring in your nose. That's it's pretty ugly if you didn't, you know, if you can't picture that. Um, so look in Proverbs chapter 7. And look in verse 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot in subtle of heart. So I just want you guys to know that. And I think we all know this. But there is such thing as the attire of a harlot. Dressing like someone who is a harlot. You know, harlots aren't known for what they, or harlots are known for what they show, not what they cover up, right? I mean, that's what they're known for. And that's what got Judah into trouble in chapter 38, if you want to go back there and look. Um, they're known for how they, you know, how they dress. In fact, I wanted to show you this little headline. I'm not going to leave it up long, but this I got from Fox News, lest you think this is just my opinion. Uh, this is from a lost person that wrote this, or that complained. Moms slam Target Walmart for hooker-style shorts for tweens. I'm not going to leave that up just for the sake of that, but I'm just telling you. You know what? The world knows what a harlot dress is like, but sometimes I think Christian ladies, well, that's just the style of the day. Well, you know what? We ought not let Hollywood set our styles. We ought not let Victoria's Secret set our styles. We ought to let God set our styles and dress like a woman of God and a man of God. And quite frankly, men are, you know, we should be dressing appropriately too so as to not draw attention um, to ourselves. So, your next bullet point. I'm going to give you a definition for modest that I hope will help you. It's dressing in a manner that frames your face, not your body. You know what? You know, you need to ask yourself, what are you framing? What are you drawing attention to with your clothing? You know, when you, put a, when you get a nice picture and you want to hang it in your house, you're picking out a frame, not so everybody comes and says, oh, that's a no, you're wanting to pic you want that picture to stand out, right? Well, you know what? Frame your face, ladies. Frame your face. Draw them with your face. Draw them with your heart and your character and not your body. You know what parts of the body that men are interested in. Don't act foolish. You know it. You know it inherently, and you like the attention sometimes. But I'm telling you, it's not the attention you really want, and it's not from the men you really want it from. You're going to want a man that wants your heart. You're going to want a man that wants your character. Um... Your next bullet point, dress in a manner that wouldn't cause someone to fall. Look in Romans 14. And look in verse 13. Uh-oh, I'm not in the right chapter here. Yeah, no, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. In other words, you can wear anything you want, ladies, in this case. Applicable to dressing, I'm saying. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, in this case they were talking about meat sacrificed to idols. We've used this passage talking about drinking alcohol, perhaps, or whatever. You know, you can't, can't drink alcohol you're going to cause people to fall that's insane right well you shouldn't be dressing in a manner that's going to cause a man to look at you with lust either you shouldn't be dressing to draw attention to something like that so that you're going to cause a brother to fall do you not love your brother um it says destroy not him with thy meat or with thy dress in this case for whom christ died we need to we need to understand that passage is talking to us with respect to everything not just drinking alcohol or eating meat sacrificed to idols. 
it's talking about we don't want to cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. And uh, if we know that men struggle in the area of lust with our eyes, ladies, please consider that when you're getting dressed in the morning. You know, maybe, maybe you have to ask yourself some questions. Is this too revealing? Is this too tight? Is this too short? Is this too sensual? Maybe ask those questions as you're getting dressed. Maybe ask your husband if you have one. And husbands, be honest. And fathers and husbands, I think we need to lead in this area. We need to have those honest discussions with our wives and with our daughters. And we need to make sure they understand what is at stake here to protect them as well as us and other brothers in Christ. So to summarize, honestly, you want to dress to frame your, fra- to frame your face and not with the attire of a harlot. Because there is such thing as the attire of a harlot. And uh, we ought not think that, you know, because we're a Christian, there's, you know, I can dress any way I want. So, all right, number 11. We're going to read verse 10. Can you go back to Genesis 39? I just want you to see this. This is, to me, an incredible verse in Scripture. Verse 10, it says in chapter 39, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day by day by day, you know she was coming after him, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Number 11 says, Joseph put safeguards into his life to avoid the temptation of sexual sin. He wouldn't even be with her, guys. He wouldn't even be with her. Matthew, uh, I do want you to run over to Matthew chapter 5. And we will end here on Matthew 5, believe it or not. Well, maybe not. I might be lying there. But we're almost done. If you could hang with me. Matthew 5. This is right after the verse 28 where he says, looking with lust is adultery of the heart. Look what it says in verse 29. This is Jesus speaking. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. You know what? The fact is we have to cut off lust right where it starts. Joseph said, I'm not even going to be with her. She set that whole day up to make sure everybody else was out of the house so that when Joseph came in to do his business, she could proposition him one more time. Well, he couldn't do anything about that, but he made every, every point to never be in that house alone with her because he was a godly, just man. And, uh, you know, how many of you, uh, I get in trouble for this because I'm, I'm afraid of heights, okay? I am a little bit, especially, I can ride roller coasters because I'm strapped in and I feel all secure, you know? But I'm telling you what, you put me on a 12-floor balcony with a railing this high, I'm, I'm not going to get close to that railing. That doesn't, that doesn't feel good to me. It makes my stomach do things that I, just jumps. I'm just like, whew, too high, too high. All that to say, how many of you on like the 12th floor, let's say you have, you're on the 12th floor, you have this huge, nice balcony, but there's no railing. How many of you would send your two-year-old out on that, ra- on that balcony? How many of you would send your junior higher out on that? Uh-uh. How many of you would go out on there? I sure as heck wouldn't. I think Ty Baker would, but <laughs> he shouldn't go out, though, should he? He's a bit of a daredevil. That's just me picking on you, Ty. But uh, I'm telling you what, that freaks me out to think that, right? But you put a nice high railing. I prefer him up to about here. But you put a nice high railing out there. You can go out there and you can enjoy the beauty of the, you know, beach or whatever sunset that you're looking at, and it makes it nice and safe, doesn't it? And I'm telling you, what I'm going to recommend to you 
is a similar thing like that. It's like having a railing around because uh, we didn't have, I meant to have it up here. Because this thing right here is a window to all kinds of devious, horrible stuff. And I, I just would highly recommend you make sure you have a hold on these on, and, and get a grip on this in your life and in the life of your children. Because if they, have a, if they don't have any restrictions on this thing, I promise you, they've already seen it probably. It might be too late. But I'm just telling you, you're going to have to take some major action to build a nice big railing, which can be done. And I'm going to tell you how. Uh, Job 31.1 says, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Because I've got, I've got covenant eyes. And you know what? There's a little thing that you can purchase. It's, uh, it's called covenant eyes. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, my wife and I, we've had this for years now. But uh, it's recently even got even better. But uh, it makes it really easy on my wife. But every device in my home, every device my son has at college, every computer has covenant eyes on it. And uh, she sees everything we see. They actually have, it's called screen accountability now. So every like two seconds, it's taking a picture of your screen and it then sends her a report and says, hey, you might need to check into that. And she, then she can check and, you know, if it is that. But thankfully, you know, just knowing that it's there, you know what that is? It's a nice big railing. My son doesn't have to struggle. My son's, I don't have to worry about what Elliot's on because I know what he's on. And he knows that he's being watched. And I think that's okay. We can all say that, oh yeah, you know what? We should be able to do this on our own, knowing that the judgment seat of Christ, that should be why we do it. Well, you can go that route. That might work for you. And if it is, praise the Lord for that. But it's no, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to have covenant eyes on my phone. I don't ask my kids to do anything I don't have. So um, I'm just telling you what, it's a huge help. And it's a huge freeing thing. It's that nice big railing that allows me to enjoy my phone. Because you know what's on the back of most of these phones? little apple with a bite out of it. Sure sounds a whole lot like the Garden of Eden. And I'm telling you what, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you if you let it. And it'll destroy your kids and your family. And uh, I don't think there's any greater ill in our society than pornography and, and, and the sin of lust and what it can do to your mind. And uh, I think I said it in here before. It's, 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 it's probably more addictive than heroin and cocaine, what it does to your mind. And beware of it. And uh, so with that, I would like to conclude with one passage, 2 Peter. And we'll get to the doctrinal application of this next week. But I knew I was going to take some time on this. But 2 Peter chapter 1. And look in verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And I hope, I hope today you've been helped by this, because uh, this can change your life. This can change your life, because you should be free of this, because then when you're free of this, you're free to serve God, which is all that matters, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm very, very thankful for the example of Joseph.